You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity, and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series, Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2. So hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. I'll read it one more time. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. I pray for us. God, we just ask that you would continue to speak to us as you have already been doing, as we have sang your truth and heard your truth this morning. Lord, take this drastically important uh, truth here in this passage and uh, imprint it on our lives. And Lord, help us to better understand it. And more importantly, Lord, live out of this truth this morning. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So so here's kind of what I want to try to do this morning. I want to take this, and we're going to spend a couple weeks here talking about the image of God, but I want to talk about this image of God specifically in these two verses by uh, putting it in the story of the Bible, all right? And and this is kind of what I mean. Uh, If you're you're new to the Bible, there's there's sort of a simple message to the Bible, and then at the same time, the message, the Bible is very complex. I mean, you... I mean, I, I'm just doing some work this week and hearing, reading, it just reminded me of how much I do not know about the Bible. And that kind of is like a little, I don't know if that's shame inducing. Maybe it is a little bit like here I am a Bible preacher and teacher. And I felt like I still don't know a whole lot about the Bible. I'm still learning a ton. But the, the message of the Bible is sort of simplistic and at the same time profound. And the message of the Bible, it's, it's a story, right? It's a story not primarily about you. It's a story about God. And that story about God starts with creation. So we've been looking at at the last couple of weeks and creation got like messed up. All right. And that's Genesis chapter three. That's the fall. So uh, both of these chapters are really, really important. It's really understanding we live in a fallen world and that's out of Genesis chapter three. But God is a God who's full of grace and mercy and generosity. He doesn't want his creation to remain in a broken state. And so he sent his own son. He embodied him in flesh, Jesus Christ. That's That's redemption, creation, fall, redemption. Jesus has come to restore humanity and not just restore humanity, but restore restore creation. And we're all headed toward what we call consummation, where uh, eventually this way that God created the world to be, us being in relationship with him, walking with him. And and it's beautiful. It turns into a massive city, right? It goes from a garden to this massive, beautiful city. But it's it's like the Garden of Eden. You kind of hear... Uh, things that sound a lot like the Garden of Eden, but just kind of like I said last week on steroids. So that's, that's the story of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, and then consummation. So we're headed toward this day when Jesus comes back to make all things new. So I want to 
embed the image of God kind of idea around kind of the first three movements of, of this story of God. And so I wanna, I wanna talk about the image of God received, all right? So we're gonna go with ours. So if you take notes here, you're like, hallelujah, praise God, it's gonna be a great Sunday because I get to know where a lot is going, all right? So we got three R's we're working through. So just like good old Southern Baptist preachers, amen? Okay, not, not amen then, I don't know. Maybe that was wounding. I don't mean to be wounding, but... Uh, so yeah, I wanna talk about the image of God received. It's a, it's a given image to you. And we'll get to this, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. Uh, Every single one of us, all of humanity, no matter where you land when it comes to your relationship with God, if you're a Christian or not a Christian, does, that does, that's irrelevant. What is true about all humanity is that you are created, put together. As Psalm 139 says, knitted together in a wonderful way, you are a beautiful image bearer of God. That is who you are. So I want to talk about like this image received. What does it it mean that I'm made in the image of God? Then I want to kind of move and talk about the image of God. And I want to use, sticking with the R's, and I know we don't use this word ever, all right? Refracted, we use retracted, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about refracted, like it's bent. There's something wrong, right? We, We know this, like there's something wrong with humanity. And so what bent, what got distorted? What is that? And then the last little movement, I want to talk about this image of God being renewed in us. Because God is not content and satisfied with his creation being broken. He's doing something about it. All right? And if you are um, an exercise person, or or maybe you're not, and that's okay because you still would understand this, uh, there's there's a part of our physical bodies that most uh, physical therapists or physical trainers would say like, this is the most essential and important part of your body. If this is strengthened, then it has a way of impacting the rest of your physical body. What part is that? What is it called? Say it out loud. Core. Awesome, man. You guys did great. Nine. Claude had a, had a few answers and I had to work with the nine. All right. We had to get to this, right? But it is, and, and it is like the core. If your core is healthy, if you work on your core, it's, it's interesting how the rest of your body, if you want a healthy back, they always say, work on your core. If you want good posture, work on your core. And, and so we know, and, and like, it doesn't take a, you know, a kinesiologist to know that, or you don't have to be a physical trainer or a physical therapist. All of us know that the core is really, really important for your physical body and the health of that physical body. Now, the, the problem with the core and the, um, the, the, um, the development of the core is this, nobody likes the exercises, amen? I mean, they're just, they're atrocious. Nobody likes crunches or planks or good old-fashioned sit-ups. I mean, I don't know, but they're, they're not fun at all. But it doesn't take away from the truth that the core is really, really important. Well, I would say this about what we're looking at today when it thinks about the image of God. It is, it is absolutely essential in the core of who you are as a human being, male and female. And this is a truth that no matter your age, from eight to 90, like we need to be continually reminded that you are made You are created in the very image of God. I mean, look at this. Let's talk a little bit about this image of God received. 
Day six is very unique in all of creation. It's almost like I said a few weeks ago that the five preceding days are, are getting ready for day six in the sense of trying to, or God's creating a place for mankind to live. So day six is, is extremely unique in all the days of creation. And we see this even in this kind of um, a subtle shift that happens within even day six. Look at verse 24. And then God said, let the earth produce living creatures. And notice a subtle shift that happens in verse 26. And then God said, what? Let us make man. So, so if you would go back and look at this, as you walk through the days of creation, you'll notice that almost every one of them are saying, let the, let the, let the. And then in verse 26, there's a, a clue here that, that, that God's getting ready to do something that's pretty spectacular. It's unlike, I mean, not that the first five days is not spectacular, right? I mean, they're all pretty amazing, but, but he's getting ready to do something even more amazing. It's almost like I'm leading you to the climax of everything I'm, I've been creating, and that is this, let us make man. No other part of creation starts like that other than humanity. So yes, on day six, there are some similarities that we share with the animals that were created then. We, you know, man shares the sixth day with other creatures when they were created. Uh, man feeds as they feed. They eat the seed-bearing plant and tree, uh, fruit trees. They, they reproduce with a blessing, similar. So, so man, humanity reproduces with a blessing that's similar to the animal kingdom. We see that in chapter one, verse 22, and in verse 28. And humans come up from the ground just like all other creatures. But the stress falls on humanity's distinctiveness, not to diminish or dismiss the rest of creation, but to sort of highlight what is unique about man and woman, what is unique about humanity and what we're uniquely given, unlike anything else that is created, we have been stamped or imprinted on us as image bearers of God. That's what he says here. Look in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Some translations say it like this. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So image and likeness are making the same point. They're not two separate points here. And so whenever we, within our kind of cultural moment, so to speak, when we hear the word image, what comes to our mind first? What's the first thing that comes to our mind? Yeah, kind of appearance, right? And we, we would use language like, you know, um, you know, I, I can't show up looking like this. I've got a, yeah, an image to protect, right? I've got a, an image to sort of uphold. Well, that's not exactly what the writer's getting across here when he's using that word image. That kind of mindset toward image is more of a deceptive illusion, maybe I'm saying like, I've, I've got an image to withhold or uphold, not withhold, uphold, whatever. But what the writer's trying to get across here when he uses the word image, and that's the reason why it says according to the likeness, it's we are like God. There's, there's, a, there's a way that we resemble God, that we are like him, not like him in all ways, right? We're human beings who are created. God is not one who is created. We have limitations. God does not have limitations. So there, there are ways that we're not like God, but at the same time, this idea of image means that we are created like him. So, so how, Lao, how are we 
created like God? How are we made in the image of God? And that question, oh my goodness, you can just go and do a little Google search at Amazon and you can see the number of books that have been written on these two verses. It is massive, right? It's like overwhelmingly massive. And so I am doing my best, right? with my limited amount of time and my little bitty brain to kind of help us understand as best as I can understand what does it mean for us to be made in the image of God. And I'll give you three more R's. We're sticking with the R's today. Amen. Is that good? The first one is this. And these are things I think you already know, but it's good for us to be reminded. Number one, we're relational. We're relational beings. Notice in verse 28, the only place where God addresses his creation. That's what he says here. And God blessed them and God said out loud, said to them. See, part of being made in the image of God is that we have a, a unique capacity, unlike any other creation, to be able to have relational, you know, with one another, relationships with one another, but primarily and most importantly, to have a relationship with God. That's why we've been given relational capacities. It's not so that we could get along with one another, which is a part of that, but primarily so that we can be in relationship with God. That's why Augustine, we've said this before, that's why in his book, Confessions, he says this, and we, we use this quote over and over, we're made for God and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. Why is that loud? Because we're all made in his image. And part of being made in the image of God is you have a relational capacity and that relational capacity finds its ultimate fulfillment in a relationship with God. And until we are in that relationship, then our hearts are restless. It's like sometimes when, and I don't do a whole lot of traveling, but every once in a while I'll go do a retreat or I'll speak at a, a deal or I'll go to a conference or whatever. And, and, and sometimes I try to bring Kathy with me if I can do that. If I can't, I'll try to bring one of my boys. If I can't do that, I just gotta go by myself, right? It's like, all right, that's it, I gotta show up. And when I, when I go on these retreats and I'm not with Kathy, uh, we've been married for 26 years. We dated off and on for about seven years before that. So we've been together for 33 years. Obviously we've been together longer than we were apart, right? And there's something about when I'm away from her for an extended time where I just, I don't feel myself, right? I just, I feel weird. <laughs> you know, so you're like, I feel like I'm walking around naked, but I'm not naked, obviously, right? Like, you just don't feel right. That's the same way here. Part of being made in the image of God is that you have this relational capacity. And the reason why you have this relational capacity is so that you can be in relationship with God. God was in the habit of walking in the garden in the cool of the day with his creation. I don't know exactly what all that means. I don't know if that's fully literal or I do know this. It does mean that he had an intimate relationship with his creation. He met with them, talked with them, man and woman he, that he put into creation. God lived amongst his people and with them. This was the original design. We are made, we are made for an intimate, ongoing relationship with God and our capacity and ability to relate are given to us so that we can be in relationship with him. Yes, we're supposed to be in relationship with one another, but this is not the primary goal. So it's one way that we are like God. The second one, which most of you know, you're rational beings. 
Every single one of you, whether your spouse made you or a friend made you or whatever, chose to get up this morning, take a shower, put on clothes and come to church. That was out of your will and desire. God did not make you do that. Is God in control of all things? Yes. How does it work out with my responsibility to do things? I don't know, right? I don't know. I don't have all that all figured out, but I do know this, that every single one of us have a will. We have a a, a way to reason, to think, to make decisions. Like that's what we do. Animals don't. I know some of you are like extreme animal lovers. We love you and there's a place for you, but please understand, they're not rational beings. They're not. Someone that licks their butt is not a rational being. It isn't, right? I love them. I do. We have a cat. I love to some extent. I do love them, but they are not rational beings, but we are. We are. That's part of the way we're made in the image of God. The third one, and, and this is where it kind of lean, leans into the second category. So most, most scholars would say the, um, the way that we image God is kind of divided in two categories. So one is like capacity and ability, and that's what we're just kind of talking about. We're relational beings and we're rational. That kind of falls in the category of capacity and ability. The second category, which is what I'm leaning into next week, so I encourage you to come back next week, talks more about function and role. And so the other way that we image God is that, and this is a weird way to put it, but I'm just trying to get words that you guys might remember, is regal. It's, it's like this idea of royalty, this idea of ruling, this idea of being a king and a queen. It means that, I mean, it's so far from us because we don't like live in a society like that. But look what the writer says here, Moses says here in verse 26, look at the emphasis. And some say that this is the emphasis of being an image bearer that Moses is trying to highlight here. Not that the relationships and rationale are not a part of being the image bearer, but what's highlighted in this text is this idea of having dominion, your function, your calling as a human being. Look what it says here. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will say it out loud. Rule. He repeats it again in verse 28. Be fruitful. Multiply. Speaking to both men and women here. Man and woman. Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it and say it out. What? Rule. It's an idea of dominion, which means kind of like to uh, harness creation's potential, to care for it, to to create more beauty, to make it a place more where life can flourish and, and beautify the earth. This is this is part of what it means as, as a function of, of a human being that's made in the image of God, that we're to exercise dominion and rule over it. One author says it like this, kind of explaining this more. He says, just as powerful earthly kings in this time and even today to indicate their claim to dominion, erect an image of themselves in the provinces of their empire where they do not personally appear so man was placed upon earth in God's image as God's sovereign emblem. He is really only God's representative summoned to maintain and enforce God's claim to dominion over the earth. The decisive thing about man's similarity to God or likeness to God, therefore, is his function in the non-human world. Like I said, we will unpack this more next week, but understand this right now that God wants to partner to rule his world, to gather 
his regal, so to speak. We are to rule over creation so that God's reputation is enhanced within his cosmic, huge, enormous kingdom. So that's what it means. As, I mean, and it's even more than that. I, I get guys. I'm, this is like a really, you know, Cliff Notes version of it. But when you're made in the image of God, you're a relational being. You have the capacity to relate to one another and primarily to him. You're rational. You, you think, you reason, you have feelings, you have a, a will. And we're also regal. We rule. We have dominion. We exercise, you know, authority over creation. And I just want to touch on this just for, for a second. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. And you may disagree with that. This, and that's okay if you do. But I think this is a much more compelling message, right? This is a much more compelling story that you are created, that you've been specifically designed, that there's no one like you, no one else like you in all the earth and in all of history. You, you uniquely put together wonderfully created in the likeness and image of God. Yes, you have dignity, you have worth, you have value. Why? Why, Lyle? Because God spoke and fashioned you into existence. We are not just a byproduct of a highly evolved animal. We've been created and fashioned together in the image of God. And I, look, I, I get it, man. I'm not trying to, um, I don't know. I, I, I never want someone to feel any kind of like shame or whatever when it comes to kind of what you're embracing as what you believe the origin of our, our existence is. I, I want to um, make sure what I say from here creates space. But in my humble way of saying this, I just don't think evolution brings dignity and value and worth to humanity. It doesn't. As one writer says, evolution kind of stumbles here, doesn't it? Because evolution doesn't have an answer for the uniqueness of humanity with personality. It can't explain how we jump from apes to people, people who reason and communicate with language. Evolution can't explain how we got stand-up comedians and skyscrapers. But creation can. We are created in the image of a personal God who created us to speak, to work, and rule in his world. It's image of God received. This is a gift. This is what God's put in you. Now, granted, if you've lived long enough, you realize that this image of God is not remaining exactly how God intended for it to remain. There's been some drastic problems, amen, right? So yes, we've received this image of God, but something happened to where the image of God is, as we use this language of refracted, which basically means it's curved, it's, it's bent, it's dented, it's not destroyed, like the image of God is not destroyed in all of humanity, but it is 
refracted does not take much for us to acknowledge that something is deeply wrong, not only with the world, but something is deeply wrong with me. I no longer image God in the way that God intended for me to image him in his creation. We see this in Genesis 3, that when sin entered into the world, rather than receiving and giving love, like they were created to do, Adam and Eve, they began to curve inward. That's what sin is. It's kind of a, a curving inward. They began to hide, self-protect, and shift flame. Sin refracted or bent every dimension of our bodies and souls. Our sinful nature impacts the way we look, the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. And without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are dead to God and we're dead to the things of God. As it's been said, and I quote, as we read the Bible, we uncover the source of both our dignity and depravity. As the mystic Thomas Merton rightly said, we are all angels and demons wrapped up in meat. <laughs> There's a lot that I may not agree with Thomas Merton, but I definitely agree with him on that one. Amen. And that's hard to hear because that's me. <laughs> Indeed, we're made in the dignified image of God, but we have descended into the depraved pattern of Satan. Therefore, we are simultaneously both great and wretched, which is the perplexing dilemma of the human nature. Those who do not read the Bible and take it to heart are prone to ignore the complex dilemma of our dignity and depravity by favoring one aspect of our nature at the expense of the other. I mean, I... I don't know, I just, I just put this before you. How do you explain humanity? On one end of humanity, goodness gracious, it's, it's an absolute miracle that within 12 months we created a vaccine that is literally saving thousands of people's lives. I don't, I'm not here to make a statement about the vaccine and you can have all kinds of things about the vaccine and abuse, whatever, I'm not really about that. I'm just trying to step back and say, wow, that's pretty awesome. I mean, and, and here, unless you didn't know this or not, that wasn't all Christians creating it. <laughs> I'm saying that I maybe mean, that wasn't very funny, but it was supposed to be because sometimes we can have that view. It's like only Christians were able to do something amazing. Like, no, why is that? Because all of humanity is stamped with the image of God. So we're able to do something so amazing to where within 12 months, holy cow, I mean, we got a vaccine that and I'm not exaggerating, it's saving thousands of lives. Then we had a drive-by shooting this week at a bus stop. Killing a 16-year-old son of a dad, mom, young man. How do you explain that? Truly. The fall has done a number on all of us, including me. The image of God is not broken. It's not irreparable. Boy, it is bent. It is distorted. It is refracted. It is no longer straight. It's no longer doing 
what it's supposed to be doing. But here's the good news, guys. Here it is. Here's, and I'm not trying to like make this weird shift really fast to kind of like go from pain, struggle, difficulty, make the shift really fast, but end it hopeful. But, but it is hopeful. Like here's the good news. The good news is that, that God doesn't want us to stay in this way, right? He, he doesn't. He, he doesn't want his, his image bearers to no longer do what they were created to do. And he doesn't want his image bearers to, to live half human lives, so to speak. And so God did something about that. This is, remember, it's his story. It's not our story. It's not about me. It's about God and what he has done. And so, so God has done something about our refracted image because of sin, our distorted image, our bent image. God did something about that. And he sent his son, Jesus. And who is Jesus? We discovered. Who is he? He's himself, God in the flesh. So the beautiful story of the Bible is that grace doesn't start in the gospels. When Jesus shows up on the scene, grace started in Genesis chapter one. Amen. Because we learn in Genesis chapter one, that he's a, a triune God who exists as God, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. And out of this overflow of love and joy and communion that he was experiencing with the triune, tri, the Trinitarian nature there, he created everything. So, so all of creation is God's generosity to us. It's his, it's his like grace that it's just like screaming at us every time we walk outside into creation. It says, man, I'm a generous, good, kind, gracious God. And so guess what? He didn't want to leave his image bearers in this refracted, distorted image. So that when Adam and Eve said, hey, I'm going to do it myself. I know you did everything here and created all things and spoken into existence. That's pretty amazing. But I think I know better. <laughs> And we can make fun of that, but we do it all the time. Amen. And when they sin, what did they, what did God do Did God just say, well, I'm just done. Blow them up. We'll figure it out. We'll create a whole nother group. I, you know, it's, it's what he did. He, he went after them. He went looking for them. And this was not a game of hide and seek. This was God pursuing his creation. He asked them, where are you, Adam? And that question was not for God. It was for Adam. And that's the good news. The good news is that God has had this posture of pursuing his humanity, pursuing creation, even though we keep rejecting and putting stiff arm, he just keeps coming after us. So that this image of God that's been refracted by sin can be renewed. And it's not overnight. I say renewed in the present tense, right? It's a continual thing that happens with us who are in Christ. It isn't like when you pray the prayer, boom, you're just reflecting it like crazy 100% of the time with no sin. No, it's a, it's a process here. But hear what the New Testament writers say about this renewed image starting in Colossians 1. He, referring to Jesus here, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. In him we have what? We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, what is he? He's the image, there's our word, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus, through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth, whether things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You fast forward, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul says this, we all, those who are followers of Jesus, those who are in Christ with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord or are being transformed into what? 
Here's our word again. The same, say it out loud. Image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the spirit. He goes on in Colossians chapter three, talking about this new life that we have now in Christ and have put on the new self. You're being renewed in the knowledge according to the, say it out loud, image of, our, of your creator. Man, a lot of you not see the connections? Isn't it beautiful when you're able to see the whole story of the Bible? I mean, it just makes it a miracle. Guys, look, this is, this is why I believe that the Bible ultimately was written by God. You can't have like a plethora of authors that are going after one story and you see it over and over. But Paul is encouraging us as Christians to live into this renewed image that by putting off our old self and putting on the new. He goes on in Ephesians chapter four and, and carries the same kind of connotations here when he says this, but this is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by your deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God. Say it out loud. Wow. That sounds familiar to Genesis chapter one. Amen. And righteousness and purity of the truth. Look, guys, I don't know what story you grew up with. I don't know where you kind of came from as far as your own spiritual background, but becoming and being a Christian is not just about making sure you avoid hell and get to heaven. That was my story, right? That that's what it's about. That being and becoming a Christian was primarily and most importantly about you avoiding hell and making sure when you die, you will spend eternity in heaven. And there are a lot of ways that my church tried to make sure I made sure that I made that decision so I can avoid that whole, whole reality, right? And some of those ways were manipulative, unfortunately. Anybody remember Thief in the Night? That wonderful film that came out in the 70s? That scared a bunch of people out of hell, right? Are you, anybody with me on that? Anybody watch that? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Oh my gosh, I read that, watch that when I was like 12. Heads are chopped off in this movie. It's like, holy stinking cow. You better believe it, man. When the invitation came, I'm, I'm down. Like if I got to rededicate, pray the 50th time, I will do whatever to avoid that, right? Please hear me, man. I, I'm not saying that a part of the gospel story is, is to avoid, right, hell and make sure we're, we're in heaven. I'm just putting before us that that's not the full story. And maybe, maybe, and I might be off here, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's a story of the Bible. That the, the primary thing about the gospel is to make sure you get whatever you want to call it, your little Kroger card or your past or whatever it is so that when you die, you avoid hell and you get into heaven. Because that story leaves out what? Your life. How am I to live right now? You see, what I would say is that as one author says, actually, being and becoming a Christian is about getting the hell out of you so that you 
can be renewed in the image of God and more and more reflect his image. I think that's what Paul's trying to get after, all right, when he says it in, in this first, second Corinthians 3, 18, when he talks about this being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. Are you following me there? So there's a, there's a, there's a process here in what I believe the gospel story is, is not, please hear me, it is in part this, yes, man, we want to spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth and the wings by which we do that is through Jesus Christ. And yes, we want to avoid hell, but the, the primary possible secondary, whatever, you don't, you're with me. The, the majority of the message is this, is that in this life, God through the spirit of God is trying to get the hell out of you. So call it sin. I'm just trying to call it something else to wake you up a little bit, right? And, and part of that Hell is experienced and still seen in us, right? In how we treat fellow image bearers of God. It's not the only implication of it, but a part of the hell that needs to get in, out of all of us, including me, that is seen and experienced, is how we, we treat fellow human beings who are made in the image of God. That's why, I mean, read the New Testament letters over and over. What is Paul and these writers commanding us to do? Love one another. You, I don't know. You would think that kind of would be a given in a church. <laughs> but it's not. As my good friend Jamal Williams reminded me this week, as we were talking through this text together, he reminded me of a quote. The 90-year-old man, preacher, civil rights activist, John Perkins, written many books, extremely godly man. This little phrase, we don't give people dignity, we affirm it. No, like this is just one aspect that I'm leaning in as renewed image bearers of God. How is that seen and reflected? I don't know. How, how well is that working for you to affirm other people's dignity, worth, and value as a fellow image bearer of God? I don't know if I'm doing really well. You see, as renewed image bearers of God, we do see very differently. We, we, we take off a lens to where we looked at people from our fleshly perspective when we put on a new lens to where we now look at people as renewed image bearers of God through the spirit of God and we see them, we see them, we see them differently. As renewed image bearers, we begin to weep with those who weep. As renewed image bearers, we see violence like we saw today and I don't know exactly all this looks like, I don't know, but but we can, through social and political engagement, need to figure out how we can create safer neighborhoods and communities. And that's kind of a part of a responsibility that we as a church and renewed image bearers of God, what can we do here? As renewed image bearers of God, we stand up for life of the unborn, for sure, by not simply being pro-life, but like my good friend Jamal reminded me of, but by being pro-abundant life. 
pro-abundant life, believing that every child and every parent, regardless of their circumstances or situation, is created in the image of God. And this leads us to care, not only for the child, but also care and disciple the mom and dad who made them. As renewed image bearers, we care for the poor, the refugee, the marginalized. As renewed image bearers of God, we honor the disabled, we honor women, we honor and move toward all people loving, love and love knowing that they behold and, 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 and uniquely created by God. And when I mean all people, I mean all people, Jew, Muslim, Buddhist, straight, gay, and in between, because why? They are precious. They are stamped with the very image of God. We don't demean someone because they're living contrary to the word or hold different religious beliefs. No, we love them by, by speaking truth and love and seeking to show them a more life-giving way of living. I get it. I've just made five little simple statements. I don't know how all that fleshes out, but that's part of the work we do. I don't need a list, right? I just need a spirit of God dwelling in me to change how I see people. Renewed image bearers pursue one another with more grace than judgment. Can I not start in this community? Knowing that it is the kindness that leads us to repentance, the same kind of kindness that led you to Jesus. So look, I don't, I mean, I know the Holy Spirit's bringing people in my mind right now as I'm even talking about this. And I would guess that the Holy Spirit's bringing people to your mind that you've dismissed, that you've demeaned, that you've disregarded, that you've set aside, you've written off, and maybe even use language like they're just a piece of trash. May the Holy Spirit bring us all conviction about how we are, not they, not they, how we are treating other human beings who are made in the image of God. Who in your life right now is the Holy Spirit saying, man, I need to move toward and not away from I'm not saying it'd be easy. I'm not saying that you have it all figured out. I'm not sure how this would look, but what would it look like to have a posture move toward someone that's different than you, looks different, believes different? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer. But I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me see what the next step is. Let's close with this. There is, 
Yeah, all word is God breathed and it's all profitable. Um, there's something about lingering in the gospels at times that maybe renews and does something in my own spirit and soul as we look at how God in the flesh walked this earth. And we're just, um, we're kind of blown away by the way he treats all humanity, right? Even people he disagreed with. It wasn't that he, you know, didn't speak truth to them. Even those he disagreed with, he spoke some truth to them, but he never did it in a way that demeaned their humanity. You know what I'm saying? And you talk about having some crazy rulers in that time. Oh my gosh, right? You think about his interactions with Nicodemus? I'll tell you this, in Nicodemus' circles, Jesus was a liberal. And they would be going, don't you talk to him. Don't be tuning into his radio station, right? That's why he showed up at night. <laughs> it's like, I don't want anybody to know what I'm doing. I'm going to show up at three o'clock in the morning. I don't know what time he showed up, but it was nighttime. And they're like, hey, Jesus. <laughs> it's interesting that Jesus doesn't condemn Nicodemus for all of his legalism and how he got everything to some extent wrong about the law. He just looked at him and talked to him about the love that God has for the world. And I think that encounter radically changed Nicodemus' life. You think about the woman that he met who was caught in the act of adultery, so caught in sin, I mean caught. There's no like, no, you're misreading it. <laughs> caught in sin. And everybody's ready to just stone her as the Bible told them to do, is what the religious leaders were saying. And Jesus was doodling in the sand, wasn't he? And he said, whoever has no sin, hey, cast that first stone, and nobody threw anything. They left. And then he looked at that fellow image bearer of God. Yes, refracted, distorted, oh, all kinds of messed up stuff there. And looked at her and says, Neither do I condemn you. Do you. Where are your accusers? Where are they, young lady? Where are they? They're all gone. And looked right at her. Jesus, God in the flesh, and said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You talk about powerful words that radically changed that young woman's life. You better believe it did. And Here's what we get the opportunity to do. As renewed image bearers, we get to be that kind of presence. In your home, with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, in your school, in your school. And by the grace of God, may he help us to be that kind of presence around fellow image bearers. God. Let's pray. So let's just take a moment, as we always do, just to be still and quiet, just to see and hear what the Spirit of God may be saying to us.
So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he did take a loaf of bread like this and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup of wine like this and said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which has been shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. So here's how we do communion. It's an opportunity for us at the end of the service to specifically today reflect upon God's work through his son, Jesus Christ, to renew and restore his image bearers. So if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, we ask that you come forward to one of these four stations in the corner of the room. We ask you to kind of gather around the table in groups of four, five, six, and then just stop and allow the individual to say body of Christ broken for you and blood of Christ shed for you. And then you can take the element back to your seat and take it when you're ready. But if you're not a Christian, just like we say every week, then this meal is not for you. We'd love to talk to you more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. We'd love to kind of connect you in that way to what you're designed to have, be in a relationship with him. So church, whenever you're ready, you can get up and take communion. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.